Does an orthopedic condition or sports injury have you sidelined? Make your comeback with GW Hospital Sports Medicine. We offer services from neck to toe, including care for shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, and hands. Plus, we're the official healthcare partner of GW Athletics, the DC Furies, and the DC Revolution. Get back to doing the things you love. Learn more at gwhospital.com slash sportsmed or call 888-4-GW-DOCS. Physicians are not employees or agents of this hospital. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your hosts from SteelersDepot.com where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit. Talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 128. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. And uh, things about to ramp up for the NFL and for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their rookie minicamp will begin this Friday and run through Mother's Day on the 14th. And my favorite time of year is upcoming. The NFL schedule release will officially occur tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, although... There should be leaks coming out throughout the day and already some select games announced by the league on Wednesday. So, Dave, how you doing? Doing good. And we're fixing to get into a uh, uh, an, an interesting weekend here, as you uh, just highlighted with the uh, schedule being announced and already got the international games out today. And they've dropped uh, a couple. Let's see what we got. Christmas. We got uh, a Christmas game. We know a New Year's Eve game. And Black uh, Friday game, a Black right? Friday game too, as well. Uh, on top of it, so uh, I have I have started the uh, that uh, that annual kind of grid where you block out where you know so <laughs> it's not that helpful. It just gives you something to do, and and you you try to beat to beat the actual schedule release out, and obviously there will be. Some leaks that hit over the course of the next uh, before uh, the, the the schedule drops Thursday night. The problem is, is you don't know which one of those leaks are, you know, how much water because there's so many fake accounts out there and all like that. Yeah. But uh, it's just going to be even worse without the blue checks. Like, yeah. I, we're going to be really, really careful of these things. Yeah. And then on top of it, you know, uh, something to be excited about, obviously, the Steelers rookie mini camp uh, getting underway on 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 Friday there. Also, later in today's show, we have a Depot Draft Roundtable with the Joes, uh, Joe Clark and uh, Joe Camaroto, uh, Owen Straley, and Tommy. And so they will join us here in just a little bit to give their thoughts and their takes on the Pittsburgh Steelers 2023 NFL Draft. So let's briefly start with the schedule release that we know right now. Do you really do you like the schedule release? Because everyone knows that I, I despise it. It's my least favorite part of the entire calendar. Or You seem to enjoy it, I guess, just from a figuring it out standpoint and getting the answer standpoint. Yeah. I like, I like, I like playing the guessing game along with everybody else more than me. I, I like the process of filling in those blocks, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't, oh, don't, don't ask me why it's like a, I guess it's like a blues clues and you're, you're, you're trying to compete to see how much of the actual schedule you can uh, know uh, before it actually drops. So I, I, I think that's the most fascinating uh, thing to me. And then obviously uh, the, 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 imme- the immediate post 
scheduled drop of, okay, uh, what looks fair? What doesn't look fair? What's going to be challenging? Where's the bye week? You know, just the little things, you know, all, overall, look, I mean, it's, 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 it's no secret who this team's going to play, right? We've known that since the season dropped. So I, I do admit that I get caught up a little bit in some, maybe I get caught up in the excitement of other people's excitement. If, if that, if that makes sense. Fair enough. I don't want to rob you of your excitement. It's just for me, if I got to hear about strength of schedule one more time on right. the screen, just because it does not matter by week four of 2023, no one's going to talk about what the 2022 strength of schedule was throw all of that out the window because each season is so, so unique and so different. So that's the kind of stuff that just drives me crazy. All right, we got some breaking news to go with here. Uh, the Steelers have informed Arthur Millette the team oh. uh, is being released. Okay. Yeah, Dave, that is big news and surprising news at that. We just had the conversation on the roundtable, which we recorded before we're recording our segment, me and you, and talked about Millette and talked about the slot position and the uncertainty there. So, I, you know, obviously Millette was not going to be the three down pass down slot corner, but I thought he brought value in terms of that rundown nickel roll. So there's, there's even more questions about this team slot corner situation now. I did not have uh, Arthur Millette on my uh, pre uh, OTA uh, cut list bingo card. Uh, uh, I had a Kella Witherspoon uh, on, on, on that card. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting move here, especially uh, as you indicated, as as we've talked about for a while. You know, what is this team going to do? Uh, you know, at, at slot corner, and you know, obviously they they did sign Chandon Sullivan recently, uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch this play out. And as we talk, as people hear, you know, as we've talked about, as as they'll hear in the roundtable. Maybe the plan is to play Patrick Peterson inside and move him around. It seems to be looking more and more likely, but how good of an idea is that? What growing pains could come with that? I don't know. I mean, it just feels like a big mess for me right now. And so the the longer we go along in, in the offseason here, the more questions I have about what this team's plan is at Slot Corner. And I understand, you know, people will say, well, they have a plan. They know what they're going to do. And I'm sure they have something in mind. But again, I go back to, just 2021 when their plan was pretty crappy and it really hurt them early in the season. And at this point, it's looking even more confusing right now. And look, uh, okay. Uh, uh, let's say Millette's not in your plans, right? Uh, $1.79 million in cap savings prior to roster displacement. So I think, uh, let's see what, what's, uh, what's the bottom of the rule of uh, 51 right now. Uh, about a nine hundred forty thousand uh, dollar cap charge there. So uh, subtract uh, nine hundred forty thousand from uh, the one point seven nine. I mean, you don't you, you don't save you don't save any money any any real cap money there. So you think he asked for his release? Do you think he saw writing on the wall and just said, "I want to go somewhere else"? Yeah, it, it's quite possible. It's 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 quite possible. Uh, it just uh, look. I mean. Uh, Nothing, nothing wrong with the overall decision, especially if you deem him not in the plans. But uh, we're not talking like you're, you know, you're, you're going to save four million dollars here in cap space either. So uh, it's one of those things that becomes quite uh, interesting, more because of the timing than anything. I think. 
Right, because, you know, Millett was very specific in what he did, but he was an effective, like, rundown, first and ten slot type of corner that could blitz a little bit and, and, and attack the run in that Mike Hilton type. Well, couldn't cover, but, you know, that's what he could do, just kind of a very small linebacker. So now the question is, who's going to be that guy? In addition to who's going to be the third down, obvious pass situation, slot corner, aligning over number two over slot receivers, and maybe that's going to be Peterson as the answer to everything. But at that point, you're asking a 33-year-old corner that's been on the outside his entire career to, you know, transition to a new position. I know he's a smart guy, a veteran guy. It's going to be less of a curve for him than others. But with declining physical tools and just it is a new position, if if that's the plan, that's asking a lot. Now, if it's Chandon Sullivan as the answer, those issues there because he really struggled last year. So I don't know what this team's doing. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to watch this play out even even more so now at this point. So quite quite a way to start off a uh, a uh, Wednesday podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, especially it's... as we just had a talk for about fifty right. minutes and talked about you know the 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 slot options, and now there's one less uh, officially or not officially yet. Uh, the Steelers haven't announced this move, but according to Ian Rappaport here, but, uh, uh, this is going to happen. So anyway, something else to, uh, to, to, to look forward to watch play out the rest of this off season. We'll have to go back in and dub over our commentary of the podcast. So whenever Owen speaks, I'll, uh, I'll put on my Owen voice and dub over his uh, commentary right. on the slot position. So yeah, the news never stops in Pittsburgh, and this is more roster churning from Omar Khan and Andy Weidel, and this roster's going to feel a whole lot different. Yeah, I was thinking that season, last right? night, man. <laughs> I was thinking, man, this 53, and it needs to look different, sure. you know? Yeah. Uh, but when we when we finally get to the point where we're looking at this uh, this 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 week one 53-man roster, and look, you, you, you obviously normally have a, a, what, about a third of a churn anyway, it it it's going it might it might look more than a third of the churn here uh by by the time this is all settled and done with i was thinking that last night man this is going to be a lot different looking uh, roster you know overall and then and you know coming out of the draft we said that cornerback room looked a little heavy right by mm-hmm. by one but once again i i did not have arthur Millette on my bingo card as a uh may 10th uh release veteran release yep. It was looking heavy on the outside because you have all these big, long outside corners and Peterson and Porter and Trice and Wallace and Pierre and Witherspoon. The inside felt light. So they're subtracting for it where it feels light. I mean, you know, Millette might have been getting squeezed this summer, but what if an injury occurs, something happens like that? I, I just I'm not sure unless he just went to you know Tomlin and Con and said, I want to go. But he's the kind of guy that, you know, and also he was good. He was a good presence on that team. Good energy, good locker room guy. Right. I mean, I, I liked what he brought from that kind of leadership and tangible standpoint. So not really sure what's going on here, Dave. Yeah. Well, uh, what a surprise. All right. So we'll transition now to uh, some tryout players with the rookie mini camp coming up. And usually we're kind of, we don't know the whole tryout list. We're getting pretty close to knowing basically all the uh, mini camp invites that are going to be attending Pittsburgh this weekend. Let me uh, pull up the, the full list here. We have another name that was added late last night in a corner from Memphis in Sylvanta Sil- Oliver. He's from Memphis. He's a slot corner. Um, I think he's like five, nine, a buck 70 he had three picks last year. So he'll be in, in camp on an invite basis. Other names that uh, we need to mention are Darian Bryant from Virginia Union. He was a Temple kid that went to Townsend and then Virginia Union. Zach Gill from Temple. Mike 
uh, Panasuk from the XFL. Pittsburgh had brought him in for, I think, multiple visits. He's a former D tackle that converted to center and I think had a pretty good year in the XFL. And maybe uh, most- yeah, I, na- I named him in, uh, in, in maybe a guy that the Steelers would look at in that recent uh, uh, center attention post that I did, thinking that you know if they were to to look at any of these centers coming out of the XFL, maybe he would be one of them. So it looks like he's going to get a look this weekend. Okay, good call by you. Hey, like, just go sign this guy. They've looked at him so many right. times. Either you like him or you don't. But uh, I guess you'll obviously get the weekend to, to really view him. And then I think for Steeler fans, the most notable name and story that I'm sure will get written about in the papers this weekend is Maverick Wolfley. And if that name sounds familiar, he is the nephew of Craig Wolfley, the former Steelers offensive lineman, who, of course, now does the, the radio commentary and has that uh, very unique presence in voice for Steelers Nation uh, radio. He's a kind of H-back tight end from West Florida. He's a multiple transfer guy as well. He, I think, initially committed to West Virginia, never played there, went to Akron, had some success there and then transferred last year to West Florida. And so he'll be a notable name uh, on an in- invite tryout basis in minicamp. And he's also the grandson of, uh, uh, Ray Mansfield, right? Right. Yeah. Ray Mansfield as well too. So, uh, uh interesting link, link there. Uh, UWF that's from my neck of the woods, university of West Florida there in Pensacola, Florida. So, uh, you know, uh, I I know right where that, that, that campus in that school is, but obviously didn't know he was playing there and he does look more like a kind of an H back fullback undersized tight end option. Speaking of fullbacks, we had kind of a a lighthearted, but it's also kind of serious discussion about Kendrick Green last night. And this stems from a tweet that I guess that Vince Williams had about wanting to make Kendrick Green a fullback. Something you suggested. Was it last year? 2021. No, I think, okay. no November 2021. Uh, it, it was becoming very uh, obvious at that point that Kendrick Green was having some struggles at the NFL level and you know, one of the things, one of the more positive things that I think Kendrick Green had shown during his rookie season was his ability to 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 move out in space and and straight line move and be able to physicality and all like that. And I threw out there, boy, uh, Kendrick Green would make one hell of a fullback. And uh, uh, Vince Williams seems to uh, think the same, uh, you know, according to a couple of tweets that he put out here the last couple of days here. Uh, look, I, uh, we, we normally laugh at, you know, people suggesting you move this guy around, move that guy around and all like that. But I, I got to be honest with you. It would not hurt my feelings at all if if they got to OTAs and said, "Hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a a, a look and see what maybe Kendrick can, Green can do at at, at fullback." Uh, this guy is, I mean, let's be honest here. He he's he's long for the roster, right? You know, right. Uh, a lot of things I think would have to happen for Kendrick Green to make the fifty three man roster this year. So. Uh, before you blow, you know, you can com- completely blow him out the door. Why wouldn't you give him a chance to, 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 to maybe show what he can maybe do at another position? I mean, odds are obviously he wouldn't stick or anything like that, but, but you never know in this team, you know, uh, you know, God bless Connor Hayward, but he has yet to shown that he can be, you know, that, that, you know, bang them up the middle type fullback. And we're all obviously excited to see what uh, uh, Monty the mullet can do uh, as an undrafted free agent here. Uh, I doubt they, I doubt they take all of our advice here, but (laughs) you know, if you, 
uh, I, I would not be dissatisfied if news came out that Kendrick Green was getting some fullback snaps. Let me w- walk me through this a little bit. Okay, I don't know exactly what Kendrick Green's weight is right now. Let's just call it 300, 305 pounds. What weight would he have to be? I imagine he's not playing fullback at three bills. Yeah, I would think he'd have to at least get down to what, 285 or something. Uh, and that's even probably a, a what did Rosie play at? Rosie Nick's two, 248 or something. Do you remember? I mean, I imagine the way the fullbacks get listed and the way they actually play are probably pretty dramatically different. So I can tell you what his weight was coming out, but I don't really know how much it's going to. And he was like an inside linebacker. I mean, he was 248 at his pro day in 2014, but who the heck knows what he actually was in the NFL. And look, uh, uh, obviously, you know, he's not going to drop all that weight that quick and all like that. But I mean, if your intentions were, (laughs) uh, here's the fullback, uh, we're running right at you. Uh, you better buckle it up. Uh, we're going, we're going to out physicality you then, then why couldn't he play it <laughs> to 90, you know? Uh, once again, this is, this is a conversation piece and it, it, it stems from the couple of tweets that, and we're having fun with it more than anything mm-hmm. and more than anything. You guys got me fired up quite a bit <laughs> thinking back to uh, that draft now and how surprised we were Kendrick Green was to pick. And then, you know, fast forward in through his rookie season on in to him not playing uh, last season there. Uh, if you want to try to at least give this guy any any kind of a chance to maybe showcase something, you know, it, 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 it probably should be at fullback. And once again, is that likely to happen? No, but it is. It does make for a little bit of a fun uh, conversation, I think. You think, could he catch the ball? Like, could he play on special teams? Like, or is he just going to be pure lead blocker, which is such a niche thing to do? I don't know. How would Kendrick Green look as the up up back uh, on, on blocking for the returner on a kickoff team? Slow. I think he would look for I think the returner would run past him. Uh, he I might don't know. crack a skull or two along the way, though. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, if, you know. That would probably be about his fit. <laughs> yeah. When, when he's not going to be. Now, here's the one thing about Rosie Nix, and, and you obviously pointed this out quite a t- quite a few times over the course of his career. That guy was a that guy was hell on wheels coming down the field uh, on special teams. You know, yeah, and, you want to talk skull crackers. He, right. he has that hit. I, I always get the name wrong. It's, it was Ben Feeney with somebody, some Raiders linebacker that right. he destroyed on it, like the hardest hit I've ever seen on, on a touchback. Right. We've probably spent way too much time on this topic already. But uh, uh, it, and once again, it, it, it's, it's lack of kind of things to talk about. Thank, thankfully, we had some Millette news to fill some some time with there. But uh, I, I think it's just uh, amusing, uh, especially go back to 2021. I had that tweet out there saying <laughs> He should move him uh, to fullback. I guess some sort of minor validation there overall. But uh, once again, I, 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 I'll I be surprised if you see it. I would keep him at his size and play O-line, but you could try him at fullback on a goal line package. I mean, they did that with Ligurski, the Ligurski, the Bronco package they had mm-hmm. way back when. I mean, just to do something different. So I think you keep him at his size if you just to, to kind of be that you know occasional blocker. If you want to, to me, if you want to get super crazy and just super wild, he was a defensive tackle in like high school and to start his Illinois career before flipping sure. the O-line. I mean, and, and like he's a strong guy. I mean, he's, and he's kind of stout and there's leverage there. So if you want to flip him back to, to D tackle, I mean, the odds of it working are still really low and he's got, you know, short arms and all that, but I think, you know, 
he does not work well in Pat Meyer's system. We all agree upon that. Right. So it's just not a good scheme fit. So maybe flip him on the other side of the football and see how he looks taking on blocks as opposed to dishing out blocks. Well, here, 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 here's my concern with that. You know, what, what was one of the main things that we pointed out right out of the shoot with him coming out of college and, and really, uh, uh, saw in those first three or four games with the Steelers there, his ability to stay on his feet, you know? Sure. Uh, and I, I think you would potentially see those same things on the defensive side of football. Uh, the only reason talking about with, with him and fullback is, is, once he did, if he was able to get off the line and get out in space and with that kind of that lower center gravity of his and, and look, he's, he's got a mean streak to him as well too. And, mm-hmm. and he's looking to put somebody uh, on the ground regardless. I mean, that matches up good with a fullback role when you're not having to, uh, to, 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 to play in tight quarters there, you know, just, yeah. And he's athletic, like, if, right. like just pure athleticism. He's really impressive. Yeah. You know, he's a point in the direction kind of guy. And, yeah, and, for sure. And wind him up and let him go. But uh, anyway, f- f- fun conversation. Does an orthopedic condition or sports injury have you sidelined? Make your comeback with GW Hospital Sports Medicine. We offer services from neck to toe, including care for shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, and hands. Plus, we're the official health care partner of GW Athletics, the DC Furies, and the DC Revolution. Get back to doing the things you love. Learn more at gwhospital.com slash sportsmed or call 888-4-GW-DOCS. Physicians are not employees or agents of this hospital. Yeah, we'll move on now. Uh, let's see what else there is to talk about. Not a lot else. Bill Cower was the uh, guest this week on Big Ben's football and podcast. And, you know, when Ben gets the, those marquee guests, they're really good interviews. They really, really are. Conversations and, and, the, and the quality of the podcast has always been to me top notch from an audio visual standpoint. What was maybe the biggest thing that Coach Cower said that stuck out to you during that, I don't know, hour 45 conversation, Dave? Uh, first and foremost, great, great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, get over there and, you know, I'll reiterate what I've said in the past about that. I could care less about the beer drinking and the food eating on there, probably much in the way people could could care less about my stuttering in, in this podcast. But uh, uh, if you remove all that stuff from 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 Ben's podcast as a whole week in and week out, it's a great show, especially some of the guests he's had on uh, uh, recently as well, too. Uh, main takeaway, man, there was uh, just uh, Cower still still got it, man. Cower is still uh, a very entertaining and it is. You see him in kind of a more formal setting uh, over the years in in uh, on the CBS set and all like that. Uh, it's good to see he, uh, Bill Cower let his hair down. Uh, uh, I, I, very very entertaining and, and had me cackling on on, on a few <laughs> things that that he had said throughout it as well too. Uh, kidding Ben about the uh, Troy Palomalo <laughs> not sticking with the cards uh, in practice and all like that, and then uh, the uh, uh, telling his version of what happened in, you know, uh, leading up to the 2004 draft and all and about how, you know, if, if, if Roethlisberger did, they, they weren't sure Roethlisberger would fall to him, uh, fall to them at what was an 11th overall there. But if they did, he thought that he, he, he should be the guy and just hearing him tell the stories about, you know, once that, once they got him into camp and saying, Man, he's he's bigger than even <laughs> even even I thought he was, and he can move, and uh, just so many great tiny stories with it with, with it, within that entire interview. 
Yeah, there were. There were probably too many to to count, but it to basically summarize Calvert's take on the 04 draft was they were going to take an offensive lineman, specifically Sean Andrews, unless one of those top quarterbacks fell. And they were pretty confident Eli was not going to fall. They felt like there was a chance that Rivers or Ben could fall. Um, and if one of those guys did, they were going to take, you know, the quarterback that was there. Failing that, they were going to take Sean Andrews. So that's kind of, I guess, where the whole, you know, story, because in Dan Rooney's book, he had talked about how he, he kind of tried to pivot this team away from Andrews and more towards Ben. We may never know the exact truth of it all, but that's Coward's perspective of it, of, of, you know, it was quarterback. If somebody was there, if not, then Sean Andrews. Right. Uh, and him talking about how, you know, obviously there were probably some coaching options uh, after, after, after leaving the Steelers and he just, you know, uh, that's, that, that's, that's Yinzer. What do we call that? Yinzer catnip, you know, saying <laughs> he couldn't see himself any, you know, coaching anywhere other than, uh, the Steelers and, uh, just, I mean, just so many great stories within that podcast there. Yeah. So you guys should go ahead and, uh, and, and check it out. Um, I thought it was interesting. You know, we talked about Coward did that there was really no relationship there with Chuck Noel. And once Noel left, it was a pretty clean break. And once Bill Coward, you know, stepped down, it was a pretty clean bake break from Pittsburgh as well. What do you think happens when Mike Tomlin hangs up the whistle at some point? Do you think he kind of removes himself from Pittsburgh the way that, that Coward and, uh, that, and Noel did? I, I feel like Tomlin's going to be more tied to Pittsburgh, maybe the obviously Cowers very much tied to Pittsburgh, literally being born here, but I feel like Tomlin's going to have a bigger presence on the, on the city still. Yeah. I, 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 he's gonna, he's gotta be in some sort of post football media world, whatever that looks like. I think, uh, he's, he's too good. I think to not have in some sort of setting, I guess, are you asking me, would he coach somewhere else? No, I guess I'm trying. I, I'm trying to figure out. I guess what exactly I'm asking, but obviously, once Noel left Pittsburgh, he there was really no reunion in Pittsburgh. There was really nothing that tied him back to, to Pittsburgh. And then once Cower, you know, stepped down, you know, he moves to New York, and obviously he's still revered in Pittsburgh, and I'm sure still came back to Pittsburgh. But there wasn't really any feeling. You didn't really see Cower in Pittsburgh anymore. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Whenever Tomlin is done coaching, do you think we'll still see him as a presence in that Pittsburgh community still? I think probably from a charity standpoint, most definitely. Uh, uh, I, I, I think you'll see that. I, I, I don't think he would want his shadow to be too large on whoever's after him either. So I think he, uh, I, I think he would keep his distance to, to some degree, maybe, maybe not to the degree that Cower has, but, uh, and who knows what the media, uh, podcast, uh, video, you know, sphere will look like, you know, uh, whenever that happens and all, but I, I could definitely see him having some sort of a visual or audio presence and obviously some sort of charity and, uh, you know, outreach presence or something along those lines. And probably a podcast, like everybody else who walks away from football goes, goes and gets a podcast. Right. Uh, quite possibly for sure. <laughs> All right, Dave, anything else you want to talk about? Any other? Um, I, I had a, a quick article this morning, and I think some people you know, are pushing back on it. My, my premise is just that, well, I think Broderick Jones is still the favorite to be the week one left tackle. I think Dan Moore is going to give this guy a really good fight. And I think Jones is going to have his own issues, just given the rawness that he you know, showed being a 19-game, basically one-year starter at Georgia. And then just the learning curve of Pat Meyer's system. We have to go back and think about, the learning curve it was for the entire front five last year, even 
more veteran established guys like James Daniels. Um, and they really struggled last year initially learning the nuances in the different techniques of Pat Myers, more aggressive pass setting system. And I think you combine those two things. I just don't want to rule out and just hand Broderick Jones the job in week one. I think, I think Dan Moore is going to give this guy a pretty good camp battle. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I think when you look at the bar that he has to exceed here, the, the biggest, the biggest, uh, I guess, downside right now with Broderick Jones is just the uh, lack of experience coming out of college. And uh, but all that said, I don't think the bar is very hard to clear when it comes to Dan Moore. Am I going to sit up here right, right, right today and say, I guarantee you Broderick Jones is going to be the week one uh, starter. Uh, but as a, as a sub to that, I will not be in the least way shocked if he is. I think uh, he will be given every opportunity uh, to win that week one job. Uh, I don't think it's maybe as much of a struggle against Dan Moore as maybe what, what you may have be trying to, to present for, but I mean, without a doubt, Moore's been in here now a couple of years, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and he does have that experience and, uh, he, he, he will, you know, he's not just going to lay down for this to happen either. So, uh, I, you know, obviously as we say all the time, these things have a way of working themselves out, but, uh, I guess long story short is I, I, I really do like Broderick Jones uh, chances of being the week one starter. I get that. And again, he's the favorite. I just think I think more has a better chance than people. I think people are so just out of hand dismissing more and just saying, well, Jones will start. He's the first round pick. He's the ultra talented athletic left tackle. And he, and he is all of those things, but I think more has a better chance than people are giving him credit for. Okay. Fair enough. All right. All right, and look, Dave. And look, you know, uh, this team, you know, was we said it several times. This team was very lucky as far as injuries on that offensive line goes, mm-hmm. and uh, they know that. They've said as much during the press conferences there. So the odds of you having whoever your week one uh, five starters are playing the outrageous amount of percentage of snaps that they played in 2022 is asking a lot just in, in general. So uh, several of these guys, you know, it, it's good that they have addressed depth uh, quite handily on this offensive line, this off season, you're going to see, you know, probably eight, eight guys or so at, at, probably at a minimum get snaps there just because of the odds, you know? Yeah. They got so fortunate and so lucky with how healthy they were. I mean, to have the same starting five for all 17 games, that will not happen again in 2023. So this team understands that, and they've added quality depth to protect themselves against that. Okay. All right, Dave, we'll take a pause here and come back with our Depot Draft Roundtable with the Joes, with uh, Owen, and with Tom Meads. We'll take a pause and come back with them. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we mentioned at the top of this show, we're bringing back our Steelers Depot Draft Roundtable a little bit after the 2023 NFL Draft, but gave us all time to really uh, really digest the picks and go more in-depth on the actual uh, selections that Pittsburgh made during late April's draft. So for today's roundtable, some familiar faces and voices uh, for you guys at Owen Straley. Uh, also joining us is Joe Camaroto. Tom Mead, uh, Joe Clark, 
uh, and Dave, of course, is here as well. So we'll go ahead and just jump right on into things. Tom, I want to start with you. It's a very big picture question to ask, and I normally don't try to ask them so broadly, but I'll do it to start the conversation. Just your overall thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers 2023 draft class. It was an exciting draft class. Um, We didn't know exactly what to expect with Omar Khan and how he was going to run things, but he uh, showed he was willing to move around the draft board a bit. They uh, showed they were willing to take some chances on guys who might have injury issues. They got over the Jermaine Stevens first and (laughs) went with a tackle in the first round. There's a whole generation of of kids out there who have never seen the Steelers draft a tackle in the first round. Truly the Um, biggest thing they were being deprived of from their childhood. (laughs) A lack of a tackle. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, overall, um, on paper, it looks fabulous. It looks like a great group they got and. Um, I'm excited to see what happens. Obviously, you know, it could go either way. That's how every draft is. But uh, from the looks of it right now, it seems like a big positive moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. Uh, Joe Clark, just same question to you. Your overall thoughts or maybe more specifically, what was your favorite part of this draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers? My favorite part was probably day two. I mean, I don't think any of us expected Joey Porter Jr. to be there at number 32. So when he was, you know, it was pretty exciting. Then it was the will they or won't they in terms of trading out or will they? I think pretty much everybody expected if they sit in that spot that he would be the pick. So it was kind of fun modern right up until seven o'clock, you know, whether they were going to take him and bring it, keep him, keep him in Pittsburgh or, you know, uh, trade back and get more picks. And then um, I love the Keanu Benton pick. I know you were all over him way back in January. I remember, I think it was when we were at the Shrine Bowl watching your video breaking down why he'd be a perfect fit for the Steelers. Um, and then, I mean, Darnell Washington, getting him that late, still trading back, getting that extra pick and getting him. I mean, he's my favorite pick of the draft. I kind of would have taken him at 32, honestly. I mean, obviously the medicals were concerned, but just talent alone. So that was definitely my favorite part. I mean, that was so fun to watch. Joe, uh, let's see, the two Joes and Owen. And by the way, you know, I want to shout out. The, uh, we we had a little bit of fun of this, fun with this before we uh, got on, started recording, recording here. Uh, Owen Straley is now a uh, a college coach, so he's told us that we don't have to call him Coach Straley anymore. But so proud of Owen. He's been uh, with the site and does uh, fantastic uh, breakdowns. So I just want to give him some uh, public a- a- acknowledgement there for uh, for getting his first coaching job. So uh, with that, Owen. Uh, Joe Camarato and, and Joe Clark, you, you three were obviously out here in the shrine bowl and, you know, start, start at the back end, the last selection of, of, of Spencer, uh, Anderson out of, out of Maryland there. I believe he was at the shrine bowl. Uh, what, what do you, what do any of you, uh, remember about, you know, him being at the shrine bowl there? Yeah, so me and Josh focused a lot on the offensive lineman. He wasn't a guy that, like, really popped as being, like, oh, he's, like, a, a juice scrugs was a guy who I would say, like, oh, he popped. Like, he's, wow, he's really impressing today. Uh, Tony Obafi, too. So he wasn't one of those guys who, you know, really jumped off the page. But he was just solid. Like, it, 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 the, his one-on-one reps, you know, he wasn't going to blow guys back, but he wouldn't really let guys buy him. He was just kind of, he, he, he was stout. He was solid. He never really got beat. Um, he impressed against the top guys. Yeah, I remember 
Um, I was watching Jose Ramirez a lot because I was big on him, and Anderson had a really nice rep against him. Um, I just, I, I, he was, he wasn't like, he wasn't a guy that like you walked away, like blown away from, but there certainly wasn't anything real. Like, oh, this guy's not going to be a player in the league. He was getting him the seventh round. I think he's like good value, probably right where he should be. Um, have an opportunity, you know, we're in a backup role coming in as a, uh, rookie. He was just, yeah, he was, I'll say it again. He was just, he was, he was solid. He was just all, all around. He was, he was pretty good. It was on. So I, I, I like that selection a lot, especially given his versatility. All right, Josie. To be honest, I didn't watch a lot of the offensive linemen, so I didn't really get to notice him much. I watched more of linebackers, wide receivers, and cornerbacks. But from one our conversations, I mean, he came up he, as a player who who was like like Joe Clark said, good, but not not someone who who blew blew us away. I know, and I know you mostly paid attention to uh, uh, the defensive backs overall, uh, so you probably didn't get a chance to focus too much on on, on Spencer Anderson, right? Yeah, I was uh, I was primarily watching DBs and receivers, a uh, little bit of tight ends and backers, but kind of letting uh, Joe and uh, Josh focus more on the front seven guys. So I take their word for it more than anything. All right, tell the people real quick about your new job, Owen, real quick. Yeah, um, so I'll try not to spend too much time on it, but um, uh, graduate assistant coaching job, be coaching outside linebackers at uh, Springfield College, and uh, cool enough, they kind of run a similar defense to Pittsburgh with uh, a little bit, um, you know, they got like some different nickel packages and sub packages and stuff, but it is, it's base 3-4, uh, they run a similar enough coverage package to what you see in Pittsburgh. So I think this sort of prepared me for that. So <laughs> uh, thankful for that. All right. Let, let, let's stay with Owen here. The, uh, you, you, you probably, you've got the most work ahead of you post draft here with uh, uh, the Steelers drafting uh, two cornerbacks in obviously Joey Porter jr. And uh, uh, Corey Trice jr. Out of uh, Purdue. Uh, you've already done, uh, you know, pretty extensive breakdowns. I know on Joey Porter Jr. Uh, up on the site already in some film rooms. And I think you, you've, you've started uh, some stuff on Corey Trice Jr. as well, too. Uh, tell, tell, tell the listeners what they're getting in these two guys. Yeah, so um, start with pre-draft. I had Porter Jr. as the fourth overall prospect in the class. And then uh, had Trice, I think, 13th. I'd have to check on that again. It might have been 12th. But, um, again, this is kind of before all the the medical and whatnot came in on that. But I'll start with Porter Jr. Um, He was a guy that, again, just from kind of hearing the discourse on other people, you know, I thought Banks was kind of rising late. I didn't really know what I would think when I got into his tape. But, I mean, overall, I think – he had a much higher like floor and higher current ability than I had thought from people. And I think he's kind of described as sort of raw in some cases. I actually think his approach in press coverage is pretty sound. You know, he's actually got pretty good feet at the line of scrimmage. Obviously the length allows him to get in and disrupt. And then kind of a focus of my piece with him is he's very, um, I don't likes to play on the top shoulder a lot more than the low shoulder. And, you know, you find a lot of corners where, they either kind of like playing from the receiver's hip or playing from this receiver's upfield shoulder. And particularly with his length, when he plays from that upfield shoulder, 
he can kind of suffocate at the top of routes. He does a pretty good job of, you know, turning through receivers, playing through the hands. So what you get from that technique, you're going to get a lot less, uh, you know, interception takeaway ball production because it's hard. Naturally, you have to work through the receiver as opposed to, you know, kind of look up, high point the ball. But in that uh, case, you know, he also does not give up a lot of explosive plays, didn't give up a touchdown last season. And overall, um, looked very good in the snaps that he was in press coverage. Uh, off man definitely needs a little bit of work, uh, opens the hips early sometimes and isn't exactly the most fluid in terms of changing direction from that. Um, really liked what I saw in zone from him. I think, you know, naturally can kind of get looked off at times by quarterbacks, but he's a young corner. That stuff happens. I think his processing is good and he has a natural feel for baiting and jumping routes from in cover two, which, you know, Pittsburgh runs at a decent rate. So I think that's a skill that we'll like. And then obviously, you know, you've seen clips all over Twitter with the, the tackling is a, a huge plus and he's very consistent in that area. I think he's a big hitter coming downhill, but he also does a phenomenal job of just being a reliable open field tackler. And, um, you know, you can read guys like Bill Belichick's thoughts on it. You know, having defensive backs who can consistently tackle in the open field is one of the most important things to having a good defense in the league. Um, moving into Trice, and I, again, I just got into him more recently. I think the thing that stood out to me is a lot of people are going to, you know, it's easy to compare the two because of the consistency and the the arm length, the physicality, the uh, the press coverage ability. I think the big difference you get with Trice is we kind of talk about that top shoulder, low shoulder. He actually tends to play a little bit more from the low shoulder. And what do you get from that? You get higher ball production. He He's pretty good at, you know, completing catches, uh, creating takeaways at the catch point. I actually think he has a better feel in zone coverage at the moment than Joey Porter. But in terms of his raw press coverage ability, he's got a really strong punch at the line of scrimmage. When he connects with that, he can get receivers out, force them into wide releases. However, uh, Porter Jr. has a bit of a false step. Corey Trice just really does not move his feet very well in press coverage. They go flat every time he shoots that two-hand jam. So I think that's something that you're going to have to work out at him at the next level. Um, and then off man, he actually, I thought, looked pretty fluid from what I've seen so far. But he gave up more explosive plays, more deep balls, had more zone coverage lapses than Joey Porter from what I saw. Um, tackling department. Uh, similar. I mean, he's a very, very good open field tackler, very impactful hitter when he's coming downhill. Um, I think Alex had an interesting point. You know, I think there's potential. Uh, my conclusion was that there's potential for him to maybe be a guy you can match up on tight ends, maybe be a guy that, you know, down the line you can use in some like dimebacker type work. So I think there's a there's potential there to move him around a little bit. I think regardless of the injuries, Whereas I think Porter's a guy you can slide into sub packages, potentially even start day one and get decent results. I think you might have to wait a little bit on Trice and just kind of work out some of those nuances. You sort of answered it, Owen, but I was going to ask you the question of, do you think he sticks at corner? I know Pittsburgh's going to start him there in my pre-draft evaluation. I had the thought he might go back to safety or as you kind of mentioned, some sort of, you know, sub package type interior player over tight end, some sort of dimebacker ish type of role because he was a safety before 2019 when Purdue moved him down the corner. I just kind of questioned did the long speed really match on tape and 
maybe there was a little bit of tightness there because he's that, you know, leaner, longer type of frame. Do you think he can stick at corner? Or basically the question is, what does he have to do in order to stick at corner and not start uh, moving around this defense? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think a lot of it depends on a couple of different things. You know, A, you know, do you need him? Like the the right away, you know, Levi and Patrick Peterson and, and Joey Porridge, if they're really holding down the fort and, you know, there's not really snaps for that fourth corner, but he's showing you something there. Maybe you find ways to get him on the field uh, in that respect. Um, I think he's going to be a really good special teamer. Absolutely. You know, I mm-hmm. think he gives good effort there. But um, I don't know. It's it, It's tough for me because I don't. I don't necessarily think he has, you know, like that Minka range in, you know, the post, I guess who does, but I also don't know if he really fits as like a, a strong safety traditionally right. either in like Edmonds role. But I, I kind of think, you know, as we had talked about, put him in in sub packages. And I think you could do some stuff with him in terms of matching tight ends. Um, probably don't want him matching slots, but right. you know, I think it's some blitzing potential there. So I, you know, I think we'll see, but I, what I said is, you know, he's not, he's not a guy that you should be comparing to Porter jr. They're very different players. One is far more refined, but to get him in the seventh, I think there's undeniable value there, even if he doesn't stay a corner. Yeah. I'm with you there, Tom. I want to go back and Hey, let's talk about the first pick of the draft year and Broderick Jones and, and trading up from 17 to 14 to get him a, how surprised were you by that move from Omar Khan and B your thoughts on Jones, the player. Uh, I was not surprised. Um, I, I think it, I, I had a feeling that Khan would go up and get a guy that he wanted if he didn't have to move that far. Um, Jones was deemed higher on the board earlier in this draft process, but he started to move down a little bit right into the Steelers range. So being able to take a fourth rounder and move up a few spots to jump over the jets was not only a smart move, but the right move, um, as a player, uh, he's still growing as into his abilities you know he's I think he's only a one-year starter he's basically only played the left tackle but has played right tackle in practice often he's still learning the position he's growing into it he gives the the, the competition to both uh, starting tackles right now and if if everything works out you know, he could be a guy who's a two contract starter for the team at left tackle, which, um, you know, it, it's something they've they've lacked since uh, Alejandro Villanueva has moved on. So I was excited by the pick. Uh, I think it, it, it was the right way to go. And, you know, he could be a building block to add to uh, the outside of that offensive line that has, they're really trying to make a, a strength of this team. Tom, what, 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 when you, when you flipped on uh, more in depth tape on Broderick Jones, what was the first thing that jumped out to you about him? Athletic ability. He can move. He's long. He can move get, you get him out in space and you know, you, you, you fear for the, the defensive backs and the linebackers out, outside there. Cause he'll just run them over. Um, I, I, his flexibility to play both sides is, is nice, but that left tackle, you really want the athletic guy who 
He's got good feet, can move really well, um, who can uh, not only protect up the arc, but uh, jump outside and cut off that wide nine as well. So uh, I think his athleticism um, exceeds the two guys they have on roster right now. Uh, so that's what I like the best. What was the thing that you turned on the tape and you said, ah, oh, that you identified right away? He probably needs to work on X. Um, probably hand usage. Uh, I, I think in college they can get away with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of holding in college that doesn't get called. Um, so I think uh, his punch timing and hand usage, uh, the placement, you know, edge rushers in the NFL are a different breed than what he's seen most of the time in college. So um, there's going to be some work there, but, you know, all the building blocks are there for him to, to be able to execute at a high level. Uh, Joe Clark, I'll go to you uh, and let's kind of start moving to the draft here. Talk about some of the day two guys. You mentioned that you were a big fan of what Pittsburgh did day two with Keanu Benton and Darnell Washington. Your thoughts on those two selections? Yeah, so and Benton, um, I mean, he's, as you've laid out multiple times, he's exactly what Pittsburgh looks for with his size and his traits. He's going to be, he's going to be able to take on multiple blockers. He'll be a force in the run game. Um, I mean, I, I've saw a lot of stuff about people saying, oh, he doesn't have a lot of pass restriction. Maybe he doesn't have a ton. And he won't be, I mean, he's not going to be a double digit. I don't think he'll be a double digit sack guy in the NFL. Um, but I mean, he had four and a half sacks last year. He, he has a little bit of juice. Um, I think more than people give him credit for. Um, he's just kind of the perfect complement on Pittsburgh's defensive line right now. That is looking better and better by the day. You know, they they did good to add depth in Fajoko and Watts, brought back Larry O, and now adding Batten. That's a pretty pretty solid group. And then obviously Washington, uh, Washington fell. I mean, the medicals with a big guy like that. I mean, he's gonna there's gonna be concerns about his knees, whether or not he's had prior history or not just because the only way you can bring him down is to go kind of chop down at him and bring him down by his knees but just the way the way he blocks is just you, you pop on the tape and just watch him block it's just fun to watch um he's just a big physical athletic guy i mean you saw it when he moved the sled at the combine just how effortlessly he moved that and tight ends just that's not that's not something that tight ends do um and i think he, i mean he offers a little bit of upside in the passing game too i don't know if we necessarily see that as much his rookie year but you know as, as seasons go on, I think he can be a little bit more involved in the passing game when he's a red zone threat. Um, I just uh, that that pick was, I love that pick. That was so I was so happy when they, when they were able to move back and still get him. Um, and then obviously, you know, Porter Jr. Owen talked about he could be a day one starter. If you get a day one starter, that slot and the guy you know that can develop, that's obviously going to be an awesome pick. But, you know, just taking two guys that you know, kind of really fill like a big role. And, you know, Benton, he's going to be a dog on the defensive line and Washington can be that number two tight end, help him in 12 personnel this year. And just, you know, be, be basically the sixth offensive lineman. Like his nickname says, he got to love getting those two guys on, on day two. When it comes to Pittsburgh's first pick on day three with Nick Herbig, I want to ask the whole room here and Owen, I'll start with you. Just give me your, your quick thoughts on the selection of Nick Herbig and more specifically where you think his best fit is because Dave and I have discussed a lot and you kind of hear a, a change in tone from Omar Khan, Andy Weidel to uh, compare it to Denzel Martin when the pick was made about, is he an inside guy? Is he an outside guy, an edge guy in Pittsburgh system? 
where do you think his best fit is? And can he, you know, make it work out on the edge if Pittsburgh wants to play him there? And this, and oh, and this will be a good study for you because you're coaching outside linebackers, right? Uh, yes, I am. All right. So this will be a good little kind of study for you uh, right out of the shoot, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he's a he's an interesting guy. I mean, I think obviously you watch the tape, the the get offs there um, in terms of pass rush. I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head a lot of times talking about it on this podcast with you know, that the length and ability to set edges in the run game, particularly, you know, in Pittsburgh, three, four scheme, you know, they ask the linebackers to box a lot of those blocks and, you know, he gets overtaken on the run game. Now you're asking your corners and safeties to come make tackles, you know, in the alley and out on the edge. And, you know, a lot of their scheme is predicated on, you know, those bigger frame players being able to do that. I really liked your idea, Alex, of using him, as more of a, you know, interior rusher from an off-ball position, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, he doesn't have to necessarily be in every down outside linebacker for him to be a pass rush package player. And I think right. that's a lot of what I see in him is four-phase special teamer, a guy that you can use his strengths. You know, you can line him up in a B gap and stunt him somewhere, but you want to use his ability to move quickly, to, you know, knife through blocks, to attack running backs and isolated matchups. I think that's the area. Um, As far as ability to potential develop into, you know, a true inside backer uh, off ball, I think there's some baseline coverage ability there. I think obviously, you know, it's probably tough to say, hey, day one, just, you know, go, go play a three, four inside linebacker for 40 snaps for us. But I think, that's something that for me, I'm probably looking to work him for year two to potentially compete for a job there. But I think year one, if you want anything out of him, it's probably put him in a specific pass rush oriented package on third and medium to third and long and kind of let him uh, help you there. Because I think his his best trait is just his ability to consistently win as a pass rusher. And, you know, a lot of his sacks at Wisconsin even do come from stunts and movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Joe Clark, your thoughts on where this team will use him and where this team should use Nick Herbig. Yeah, so I'm kind of a thought. I think they're going to, year one, he's probably going to, I think they're going to stick him mostly at edge, you know, just to kind of ease that transition coming from college where he was an edge last season to get something out of him. Because right now it's really a position he needs still is that backup edge stuff. But long-term, he's got to be off ball. There's nobody with his arm size that's been a productive NFL player for like an extended period of time. Um, I looked up guys with 31 and a quarter inch arms and like Marcus Golden was really the only 31 inch arms that, that stuck at a legitimate edge position full time that has had, you know, some moderate level of NFL success. And Herbig just not, he, I mean, Golden's got a lot more mass on him than Herbig does too. I mean, I love I love the pick of Herbig. He has a great personality. He's the hearts and smarts that I look for. But I don't. I just don't love it long term as an edge. I think you know. I mean, he starts out fine. They need edge depth. They can use him. They can scheme him into certain packages to kind of take advantage of what he's really good at at that position. But long term, he's got to be uh, considered to be an off ball. One name that has uh, had NFL success despite really poor length is one of Dave's guys, actually. Carl Lawson has like 31 and a half inch arms. But I think to to Joe's point, you know, Lawson is a, is a is a more bigger built player. So 
Dave, I know we've discussed a lot our, our thoughts on Herbig. I'm going to guess probably everyone else has, has the same thought on him. But, you know, what Dave, what do you think this team actually does with Herbig? Do you think they really keep him as an edge guy? Or do you think this kind of floating about inside linebacker becomes true sooner than later? Yeah, and I think somebody sent through the email machine, too, to uh, look at Kyle Van Noy because we recently talked about Kyle. I think uh, uh, PFF had him as a... Uh, you know, somebody that the Steelers should potentially look at uh, moving on past the draft here if they want to add some experience, you know, another experienced uh, edge rusher here. And let's see, pulling up Kyle Van Noy's uh, uh, measurables from uh, the combine, 6031 uh, was his height. So I think that's one inch taller than Herbig is. 243 weight, I think that's like three pounds more than uh, at least what I think uh, Herbig was listed at mm-hmm. uh, in college. Uh, the arm length, 31 and five eighths. And what did we say Herbig is? 31 and a quarter. 31 and a quarter. So, uh, you know, a little bit of difference there. Uh, look, he, he, here's the thing. If, 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 he, if he can become a Kyle Vannoy uh, type player in the NFL, then you're going to be looking back at this pick, saying, "Wow, what, 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 what a deal they, they, uh, you know, what a find they got with this kid uh, in, you know, it, when they got him in the fourth round there. Uh, may, maybe that's maybe that's high side pro- projection. Maybe that's that's good side, you know, projection if he can become that. Uh, but you know, I think it's 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 pretty evident, at least you know, right out of shoot, because we were all wondering who which coach is going to go into that room, especially with Curry uh, being at that uh, at that uh, Wisconsin Pro Day there. Uh, I mean, I've gone back and forth. I've looked at at, at several of his sacks and all like that. He has great hand usage. His get off is you can definitely recognize that get off. I just wonder how that size you know, goes back to kind of. You know, what, what Owen said, you know, what's going to happen with him uh, initially uh, right out of shoot two when he's not rushing the passer, you know, uh, right. is he going to be able to stand up on that edge and, and turn things back inside or make plays? I mean, he could obviously chase down from the backside. We see that on his tape, a lot of hustle there uh, when it comes to that. <sighs> If they're going to make a transition with him to inside linebacker, I would expect it to be a slow process uh, overall. Uh, but within all this, by, by looking more at his tape and looking at this depth chart right now, I do think that they they, they need to bring in another uh, more experienced edge, potentially like a Van Noy if they can get him on the cheap. Uh, because I think there's going, even if they do, if their plan is to, to keep Herbig at the edge, for the rest of the time there, there's going to be growing pains within this. Uh, I think, you know, they talked to who was it? Uh, Weidel said he, you know, we think he'll get bigger naturally and grow into that. Well, that doesn't happen overnight, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just getting acclimated to uh, everything that comes with the position outside of rushing the passer alone uh, is going to take something to get used to. So, uh, you know, short term, I, I, I think, you know, through, through, um, rookie mini camp and obviously OTAs and probably on into training camp, you're probably going to see him on the edge uh, for them to get a good feel on him. And then I guess it's kind of a to be determined after that point. 
it's a fair thought on, you know, can he do the other things that aren't rushing the passer? In Pittsburgh, you have to earn the right to rush the passer, a.k.a. you got to stop the run first. And so that'll be the thought. I actually really like that comparison with Van Noy because he's a guy that's been really scheme versatile in his career. He's played sure. off ball. He's played inside. He's played on the edge. He's kind of, you know, played in different systems. So, yeah, I kind of if he, if he can become Kyle Van Noy, sign me up today. Oh, absolutely. And, and, uh, uh, when we get to the email portion of the show, I'll have it pulled up of who, who actually uh, 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 sent that in to, to look at there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if you look at Kyle, what Kyle Van Noy has done throughout for, for a, he's played in the, in the, in the league. What? Uh, Almost a decade. probably. Yeah. A decade. So, so if you got a, if you got a guy to stick with you for a decade, that makes that a monumental pick in and of itself, regardless of where he plays. And uh, to this point right now, what Kyle Van Noy has 33 and a half uh, career regular season snaps. We talked about him uh, just the other day, what over the course of the last five years, I think he's averaged what five and a quarter uh, sacks per season. He's like a, uh, an average of 700 defensive snaps a season over the course of the last five. So uh, now he didn't come out to shoot right away, obviously, uh, uh, to be a big time player. And, you know, p- perhaps that's that 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 that's the course that a uh, guy like Herbig would have to make, too, because I'm looking at, let's see, 2014, 15 and 16. Uh, Van Noy had a total of uh, what, three sacks, it looks like here. And he really didn't start. Uh, getting into his own uh, until what uh, that first full season with the Patriots there. And obviously had a good three-year run uh, with the Patriots. So uh, once again, you know, you don't want to entirely close the book on this guy uh, totally, but I mean, based on, you know, the measurables and, 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 and his strengths and his weaknesses coming out of Wisconsin, it it looks like a tall task, Mm -hmm. but, but if he can become of Kyle Van Noy in the NFL, I, I'm with you. You sign me up for it right now. Josie, I want to go to you. And again, kind of a bigger picture question, which which of the seven draft picks, which rookie will have the biggest impact on the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers? And it feels like there's several candidates to choose from. But if you had to pick one who will make the biggest mark on this present year team, who do you think it'll be? I think it's going to be Darnell Washington, and I think it's just going to be, and I think it's going to be because of the way the Steelers want to play offense. They want to play a bully ball. They want to just run it down, te- run it down teams' throats. And I think not only can he help out in the receiving game, but he's going to provide so much blocking wise. I mean, Zach Gentry isn't an awful blocker as a tight end, but Washington is is way way better than him, and. I think the, the the second close answer for this would be Joey Porter. I think he he could also have a huge impact, but I do think there might be a little bit more of a learning curve than for Washington, who might simply just kind of be asked mostly to block. And he's proven that he can block really well. So I for think sure. for the offense that the Steelers seem they want to run, which is run the ball thirty times a game, I think having Washington in there and two tight end sets can be huge, and 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 maybe lead to more explosive runs, which is something the Steelers have, while they, they showed that they could run the ball last year, they didn't have too many explosive runs. And I think bringing Washington in might make some more explosive runs happen. They really need that. No question about that. I'll, I'll ask the same question to all of you guys, uh, to the other Joe, Joe Clark, your thought on, on the rookie that'll make the biggest impact on the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. 
if he can beat out Dan Ward for the job, it'll be Broder Jones. Um, I think ultimately he will, but he's really got to improve um, his hand. Like Tom says, hand usage is just hand placement because kind of dangles his arms at his hips and pass sets, especially with his first kick step. Um, if you watch his LSU tape, he got smoked by BJ Ojolari when he was doing that. But um, if so, I think it's going to be Jones if he can beat out Dan Moore. Otherwise, it's going to it's got to be Porter Jr. I think. Um, I mean, the Steelers need cornerback help. They're going to have to have a third cornerback in the field at times, even if he's technically the third outside on the depth chart behind Wallace and um, and Pat Pete. I think you know just his length, the way he's going to be able to take away those slants, a lot of those in breaking routes. Um, even if he doesn't, you know, provide a ton of splash as a rookie, uh, I think he's going to just be enough of a nuisance and that I think he's going to have a pretty positive impact. I mean, again, you still have to be worried about, you know, him being grabby and, um, the penalties, but I think, I, I think right now I'd probably go, um, assuming that, you know, let's just say Dan Moore Jr. wins the job. I'd go Porter Jr. Otherwise I think Broder Jones is just good or bad. Um, if you have a different left tackle, I think it's going to, impact the team positively if he ends up, you know, fixing some of his issues and plays well or negatively if he can't and the Steelers uh, offense line suffers. But so it's going to, I think it's going to be one of those top two pick. Owen, your choice for most impactful Steelers rookie. Yeah. um, So I, I agree with points that, you know, both of them made, I think uh, Washington, I just don't think the snap count will be there for him to be that guy where he's the most impactful out of them. But I think, there's potential for him to obviously boost the red zone offense. And then, you know, if they really want to become that 12 personnel team, him just kind of allowing them to do that, um, you know, by default could make him an extremely impactful player. I, uh, I would tend to probably agree on Jones. I mean, I think if he, if he comes out and, you know, immediately takes that job from Dan Moore, uh, I thought Dan Moore did a really nice job in terms of some zone run blocking late in the season, but you still see too many instances of him just getting burnt by a speed rusher off the edge with just that like instant pressure. And, um, you know, I think there was a lot of that where it's not like his, his consistency is not terrible, but the bad reps are bad and like can lead to early sacks. And um, I think with Jones, I had a chance to look a little bit into Jones. I think obviously the ability to get out in space and, you know, move on screens and, uh, you know, kind of get to the second level as a run blocker. But I think especially as a pass protector on that blind side, he just does a really nice job to match feet. And, um, you know, I think that's really where if you can get more uh, pass protection for Kenny, I think that opens, you know, more opportunities to attack downfield and ultimately get to the version of this offense where that wants to go. Um, I think Porter Jr. also super impactful. I just think, you know, probably limited to more of a sub package role. I don't think, you know, they just give him the job day one, mm-hmm. but if he's, you know, able to come in and, you know, play big snaps, I think his ability to uh, play the boundary and, you know, really eliminate number one options could be something that shows up immediately. And Tom, your thoughts on the most impactful Pittsburgh Steelers rookie. Well, I just want to add this with the, uh, about Washington. Um, I think, he opens up a lot for Pat Fryermuth to play more in the slot, more on his feet, um, especially in that goal line package where they use the two inline tight ends and the two guys on the wings. Uh, Fryermuth's probably going to move from inline to that wing position that gives him a lot more flexibility to uh, 
be a red zone uh, threat in that formation. But for to answer your question, I'm going to go with Keanu Benton. Um, the run defense of this team has been a work in progress for a couple of years. To add a big body athletic guy in the middle who can keep uh, the new linebackers clean, um, it's it sh- putting him with Larry O and Hayward should uh, form a nice trio up the middle. He probably won't start right away, but he'll earn those reps as the season goes on. And he could be a very impactful player on in the passing game and the run game, but especially in the run game. Yeah. I'm with you, Tom, Dave, any, any questions for these guys? Yeah, uh, Tom, uh, have you, uh, obviously you weren't out at the uh, shrine bowl, but I, I would imagine you've watched some Spencer Anderson, uh, tape since the draft. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, 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 on the, the Steelers last draft draft pick? Um, I've watched a little bit on him and, uh, you know, he fits the mold of what they, they've been looking for in recent years. The, the guys that are flexible, the guys that have the length, uh, the mobility, uh, he's played up and down the offensive line. So, um, I think he'll get, you know, uh, probably not at tackle, but probably looks at all three spots inside. Um, you know, he's the, the, the backup center job is wide open and they've brought in like 15 guys now that they're going to take a look at, at that spot. So, uh, you know, it's, it fits what they they've been looking for. And um, I'm, they had the good connections with Maryland. So I'm curious to see, you know, how he handles uh, the camp and, you know, if he can take a hold of that job. And where do you come in on the Nick Herbig evaluation positionally? So I wasn't happy with the pick initially. They they need depth at outside linebacker and they need a depth at inside linebacker and frankly they don't know if he can do either. Um, it's possible, you know. I kind of put him in the same bucket as as Connor Hayward. He's a football player and he's going to do whatever you ask him to do at one hundred percent. He'll be given a chance on the edge and. You know, there's there's a couple positives that could come out of that. They could see, yes, he can handle the pass rushing there, and he could stick there. Uh, they could also he could also not have success there, and you know, then be able to totally commit to inside linebacker. Uh, I think he's going to be used as a uh, a movable piece um, down the road. Hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to. St- I think he's going to be able to stick an inside linebacker. He's got the 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 speed, the the smarts, the athleticism. He was solid in coverage at Wisconsin, dropping in his own coverage. So I think he'll be able to handle that, and I think that'll be his spot. And you know, he could become that inside blitzer like Vince Williams was, and you know, just wreak havoc on on passing downs as well. So. I think eventually it's going to be an inside spot, but uh, they're going to give him a look uh, at both areas. Owen, I need your help because I think the thing that I wrestled with the most trying to project what the week one depth chart lineups will look like is Pittsburgh sub package and specifically who will be the Pittsburgh Steelers slot corner. And I don't know really who that guy is, at least on passing downs, rundowns. It may still be. Millette, they signed Chan and Sullivan. Of course, you have kind of your big three on the outside in P. 
Peterson, Wallace, Porter. How do all those pieces fit? Who do you think is going to be the you know the, the first third and seventh snap of the season? Who's going to be playing inside in the slot? Yeah, so I think what my thought has been for the traditional nickel spot, I think you're looking at Porter Jr. on the outside, uh, Levi Wallace also on the outside, probably playing sides because Pittsburgh doesn't really love to do field boundary or matchup. Mm-hmm. And I think you're probably going to have Patrick Peterson slide to the inside. Um, I think there's a couple reasons for that. You know, obviously not something he's done a ton in his career, but I think just in terms of being able to replace a lot of what Cam Sutton did from that spot with the inverted coverages, with the veteran IQ that it takes to play that spot in Pittsburgh, I think Patrick Peterson's a good guy for that spot. Um, and, you know, I guess really in terms of out of the three of them with uh, Porter Jr., Levi Wallace, and him, he's probably the best suited to play that um, in terms of just IQ, fluidity. Um, and then you look at the other options that they have there, you know, you're not going to roll into week one, I don't think, and throw out Arthur Millette or Chandon Sullivan on a mm-hmm. third down. Um, I think the other spot that becomes interesting is that kind of dimebacker spot because, you know, as we know, they like to put six DBs out in those third and long. So, you know, Sutton did some of that in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he was able to move in. I think what I would expect is probably some variation of three corners and three safeties in those spots where you can play both Minka and Casey further from the line of scrimmage, maybe move a guy like, I don't know, Neil into that spot closer to the line of scrimmage um, as more of, you know, a blitzer and, you know, covering, you know, they do a lot of that hug blitzing on the uh, running backs. But I think to answer your question in short, I would expect Patrick Peterson to be a guy that is lining up over the slot on passing downs. How confident are you in that? I, I probably agree with that because at this point, I'm just trying to find like, the best of the not great options, but obviously this is a guy that's never really done that. He's always kind of been an outside type corner and you wonder how well he's going to match up against me. Some of those smaller slot receivers on the inside. I feel good about it in terms of his ability to get the flat foot reads going on out routes and slants and, you know, stuff in the intermediate areas. What I worry about is teams looking to exploit that matchup knowing, okay, Pittsburgh plays a lot of cover one. You know, what if we get him isolated in the slot, run a hitch on the outside, and then get that slot fade going from number two? And I think Mm -hmm. that's where teams are going to try to exploit him is, you know, the deep, the deep outbreaking routes where you can get him isolated and that midfield safety is not going to be able to get there in time. Um, What makes that easier now? Again, is you know, with a guy like him, you can say, okay, well, shade the outside leverage. You got Minka playing over the post. As long as you force an inside release, like he's not going to be able to stem outside and get to Minka. So I think uh, Peterson's veteran smarts and ability and his ability to work in tandem with Minka and a lot of that stuff they play should help him to survive in those situations. But from what I saw on tape, uh, the long speed isn't exactly there to – you know, let's say he's got to run with like Jamar Chase in the slot or something like that's not it's right. not the matchup we want. That's not ideal. And actually, interestingly enough, Shrine Bowl guy, I think Zay Flowers in Baltimore now is another guy that I'd be very worried about getting some slot matchups against him. Yeah, for sure. Dave, go ahead. 
Uh, let's uh, wind it down uh, this way. We've talked about all the draft picks. Uh, we, we got a, a good idea about, uh, well, l- l- let's go this way. Of the undrafted guys, uh, the seven that they sign, uh, each of you real quickly name one guy that you're most excited to, uh, to see moving forward into the offseason. Whoever wants to start. Joe Clark. I'm intrigued by uh, by Jay. I don't want to say his name. I'm Waya. Uh, I mean, he's from he's local to me. He's from Merrimack, so I don't know, like an hour away. Um, put up pretty good numbers uh, for a team that you know had pretty was actually pretty solid in the FCS last season, and they had just recently transitioned to D1 a few years ago. So you know, to have that level of success at FCS is pretty impressive. We love the team in sacks. He's got the size Pittsburgh looks for, and there's definitely. I mean, there there could be a spot on the practice squad. There's there there's a role for maybe at the you know the bottom of the roster as additional defensive line depth. Um, the little tape that I've seen on him, I was pretty impressed by. I like Jonathan's breakdown of him. Um, he just seems like a humble kid, a hard worker. Uh, I'm de- I'm definitely he's the guy I'm probably most him and I mean Monty Potterbaum just because you know he's looks cool as hell. Um, <laughs> but uh as he's definitely you know one name that I'm really intrigued by. I'm excited to watch you know mini camp this weekend and hopefully down the line in training camp. Joe C, who 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 are you most excited of these undrafted seven? I'm interested to see David Perales, and I think it's because one the edge depth at at with the Steelers right now is just not good, and he has some. I mean, in two seasons he has 16 and a half sacks at Fresno State, so I mean he has the production. He's six three. I mean, I feel like he could be someone if he somehow if he can make the roster. But just based off the lack of edge depth, I think I think that's an intriguing player to watch. Tom Mead, I'll go with uh, Tanner Morgan. Um, he had some success at Minnesota. Uh, had some injury issues this year. Was up and down. Uh, he's a little undersized, but that number three quarterback position is open, which isn't really important. But when you consider that the backup quarterback might be gone after this year, you know, you're going to need someone behind Kenny Pickett. So, uh, you know, seeing uh, what this kid can do and you know, how he processes at the NFL level is going to be important. Owen? Uh, to me, it just has to be pot and bomb. Just given the... <laughs> current state of the roster with, I mean, if you're not going to bring Watt back, you know, Hayward, Hayward's a fun guy to play around with and do some stuff with, but I don't think he's, you know, a prototype fullback that you want to line up and, uh, you know, play in the, the role of just pure lead blocker for however many snaps they want to do that. Um, I think the guy's got some interesting special teams value just in terms of being a physical guy that wants to, you know, go out there and hit people. And then, you know, obviously it's never going to be too bad if you get to see a guy with a mullet catching the ball in the flat. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's, uh, let's go this way now. Now the draft is over with and, and you got a good idea of how this uh, 90 man roster starting to, sh- to, to, to shape up. What's one position each of you identify one position that you think still needs to be addressed with a potential uh, veteran experienced player moving forward on, 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 on into the rest of the off season. Joe Clark. It's gotta be edge. I mean, you really, you, who's the third edge right now? I mean, is it Herbig? Is it, 
really going to be Quincy Roche. Um, they, they, it's the position that we saw last year when Walt went down. Hey, Malik Reed couldn't get it done. Jameer Jones couldn't get it done. I mean, it's an important position to have depth at. And right now, the depth is questionable at best. So, you know, adding a veteran like Kyle Van Noyer, finding another veteran out there, um, I think that's probably the most important position to address right now. Josie? Yeah, I'm with Edge, too, just because, I mean, we saw how bad it was last year when, when Watt went down and it was Highsmith and, and Reed was trying to figure out how to play Edge over there. I mean, it just it just was a disaster without – without uh Watt and if God forbid either Watt or Highsmith go down this season, you need to have someone who's capable of playing edge in Pittsburgh there, or else the defense is going to be looking really bad again. Uh, Tom Mead, yeah, outside linebacker is a good choice, but I'll I'll switch it up and go inside. You're, you know, they've revamped that entire room, and you're you're one play away from having Mark Robinson or Tanner Muse have to start for an extended period of time. Uh, and nothing against those guys, but you know that that's not what you'd hope for as for the depth at that position. So I think looking for a veteran to play inside is is going to be key. Coach Owen Straley, <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go with what me and Alex were just talking about with slot corner. Um, you know, I think you got a lot of guys who are six one, six two, uh, long and lengthy in that room, but. Uh, you still kind of lack that pure coverage um, guy in the slot who can give you a little bit of run defense, you know, be a little more well-rounded and just be able to match uh, quicker guys from the inside playing from depth. You know, just, I guess, a, a real experienced player in there. There's there's no one in that group who's done it. So maybe addressing that um, at some point with somebody who becomes available, maybe even in camp would be interesting. Alex Kahn? <laughs> Well, I wanted to know if uh, if Owen goes by just Coach Owen. He seems like the cool coach, you know, the one everybody can be friends with. He's not Coach Straley; he's just Coach Owen. Is that is that how it, how it goes? And maybe I might be Coach O, Coach O. Jerome. Coach O, yeah. <laughs> uh, Although I, uh, Alex, you answer my question. You got to be one of the LSU guys, Coach O, down there on the bayou. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. Sl- I mean, I, I I think the answer in terms of like what is the biggest hole on this roster right now is slot corner. I don't think there's really a veteran out there today that can solve that. Of course, they just brought in one in Chained and Sullivan. So I think post-camp cutdowns, a late trade, something like that might be the fix. I think the Steelers are going to be in for a rude awakening of how much value Cam Sutton brought to them. The band-aid that he was to plug basically any hole needed because he could play basically any spot in that secondary, whether it's post-snap rotation, slot corner, outside corner. I mean, he he did it all for this team, and I am worried this team's going to go down that 2021 path again where they really didn't have a good slot corner plan. It was Millette. It was Antoine Brooks. None of those guys worked out. They tried Minka early in the year. He was uncomfortable there, did not perform well there. They moved him back and eventually basically just kind of kicked Sutton inside. This time, obviously, Sutton's not going to be that option. So slot corner to me is the biggest need. I would probably agree, though, that there's going to be more veteran options at edge to to add somebody to that mix because there probably really aren't any names at slot corner right now. No more questions, Your Honor. Uh, the defense rests, and I hope the Steelers' defense gets to rest quite a bit <laughs> in 2023 as well, too. Alex? 
Yeah, thank you guys so much. I think it's all that Dave and I had. So we'll definitely have you guys on maybe later in the summer as we get ready towards training camp and towards the start of the regular season. So always appreciate your time. Be sure to follow these guys and just want to thank them again for the fantastic work they did throughout the draft process. I felt I felt like we as a site and me in particular were so prepared for this draft because of all the work that we put in ahead of time, whether it was your guys' coverage um, at the all-star games or the scouting reports or the film room breakdowns that you guys have done. So just want to thank you guys again for the tremendous work and effort. You know, I know they're long nights and, you know, it, it feels nonstop, but thank you guys again for making me feel really prepared for this draft. And I echo those comments as well. All right. So we'll take a pause and come back with the rest of the show. Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Joe C., uh, Joe Clark, Owen, and Tom Mead for their time and their insight and a really good conversation there. And I really love getting their thoughts. And congrats again to Owen on the coaching job. I think it's going to be fantastic for him. And we're excited to watch his coaching career begin. Uh, absolutely. And uh, we hope to have maybe one more uh, post-draft roundtable with a couple of the other guys on, on, on the staff here, probably within the next, I guess, uh, calendar week here uh, to kind of get their, their their thoughts on s- some of the same sub- or topics that we asked them about. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting question that you asked, Dave, and I want I want to get your thoughts. And also, I do selfishly want to share my thoughts, too. Uh, when you asked the question of what was the first thing you noticed about Broderick Jones? What was whenever you watched him, what was the first thing you noticed about his game? Yeah, and I think I put it out there on Twitter, just the overall athleticism, his ability to move, uh, uh, his ability to get off the line, get out in space and 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 keep his feet and 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 make those key blocks out on the edges there. And uh, kind of, you know, uh, with within that, his ability to uh, to 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 you know, in kind of some of those double hits off the line, those double teams. And and when he's asked to go to the next level, his ability to quickly do that, get two, three yards off the ball uh, like that. So just the overall athleticism uh, first and foremost was the thing that jumped off the tape with me, with him. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think that was something that's certainly notable and probably the the most enticing part of his game for me. I'll I'll take it even kind of, I'll combine that thought with just something a little bit more uh, base level. His stance, just watching him like get into a stance, how flexible he was, the bend that he showed. I know it's a small thing, but I think that kind of shows the athleticism and and kind of rarity that he has in terms of just how his body moves, because he's a really flexible guy. Even if you watch like whenever, you know, Steelers.com or or the YouTube channel would kind of give some some clips of him and they would show him pre-snap, get into a stance and get low and have just really good like knee bend and, and, and be able to drop his hips. I just don't see that from a lot of tackles. I know that's a kind of a very specific niche thing, but I think it highlights how flexible this guy is when you watch him get into a stance. He's not tall. He's not tight. I mean, he's very loose. And I think that kind of just speaks to the athletic profile that he has. 
Uh, Cameron Wolf uh, from the NFL Network is now reporting there was a difference of opinion regarding Arthur Millette's contract, okay. and he asked for his release per per uh, per source. All right, I, 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 yeah, I mentioned that because it did not make sense for Millette for the Steelers to want to release Arthur Millette because there was why do it from a financial standpoint, from a depth standpoint, from a, you know what he did offer special teams, rundown, nickel corner. So this makes a lot more sense if he's asking for his release. Right. And, you know, people are saying there sounds like some uh, difference of opinion regarding his contract. He's he was. Uh, look, make no mistake about it. And, and the cap numbers reflect this. And and as does the uh, NFL PA site and all like that, he was under contract for 2023. That's why he's getting released. You know, right. uh, there. So I don't know where the difference of opinion regarding his contract. I don't know. Maybe he thought he he, he was going to get a chance to get an extension this offseason. I I don't know. Maybe that's where uh, the difference of opinion and all and 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 all are in on that. But uh, uh, once again, you're not saving a lot of cap room in here. And and uh, you know, uh, there's always, as we had said with the Jameer Jones out of the blue, there's always probably something more to the sort story uh, when it doesn't add up. And you know, on the heels of this team signing Chandon Sullivan and adding a couple of cornerbacks via via the draft. Uh, this does make the most sense here that Millette said, look, I, you know, I, I, I see what's going on here. I'm not going to be part of this. How about just cut me now? Yeah. I'm literally typing that now on Twitter because I don't know what contractual issue there could have been. It's not like he was wanted an extension or deserved this, you know, mega deal or anything to, to that sort. So I think it was just him saying, I'm probably not going to make this team, which I'm not even sure if it's accurate. I think he's still on a chance to make this team but i guess his perspective was different so he wanted to go somewhere else to try to catch on before otas or training camps open up here's the thing you know and we've seen this before a lot of things happen during the offseason right and you never know uh you might be slated for the practice squad and you end up on the 50 you know so many so many things happen so uh there were there was probably a difference of opinion of where he thought maybe he belonged in the grand scheme of things and and uh, seeing Shannon Sullivan be brought in and then this team draft two cornerbacks, uh, maybe that was his difference of opinion. You know? Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than anything contractual. So th- that's my read of the situation. But to the point, Millette's gone, Millette's out, regardless if it was team-driven or, or player-driven. And now you have even more questions about what that slot room looks like. The big winner here is Akella Witherspoon for the time being, right? <laughs> I guess, but like he obviously he can't play in the slot. Right. So I think he's still got the same numbers game on the outside because right. his team can't keep all outside corners, you know? That's true, but at least short term, because I, I kind of sure. envision, you know, by the time this, this team got to OTAs, that uh, Witherspoon might not be on this roster. He better get good on special teams, though, because we know Pierre can at least do it. And you got Porter and, you know, Trace will have to earn that spot as well. But Witherspoon better get really good at running down kicks and punts. How many snaps did Millette play on special teams last year? A lot. I think Wolf's tweet and numbers can vary, but uh, the tweet says he led the team in in special teams tackles last year. I mean, he was, you know, kick coverage guy. Did most not out there on punts, so he was kind of mainly a, a kick guy in terms of a uh, just, just 152 special team snaps, and that wasn't the most on our team. Couldn't yeah. have been. Well, the, he said uh, the, the the stat was uh, let let a team in tackles on special oh. teams, but I don't know if that's accurate either. 
Yeah, let me see real quick. Numbers, the numbers get very sketchy in special teams tackles. They can kind of vary pretty wildly. Well, the NFL uh, official site, you know, uh, keep keep keeps those as a stat. Okay. So I'm going to pull those up for regular season. I mean, he might have been there. I, mean, I assume it's probably what Wolf is referencing, considering their uh, NFL Network affiliate. Uh, Miles Boykin had 10 total. Okay, Millett had 13 total. So, okay, he did. Uh, he had... Uh, uh, Eight solos and five assists there for a total of 13. And second behind him would have been Marcus Allen with eight solos and four assists at 12. And then Miles Boykin at 10. So that stat is correct uh, of him having the most total special teams, you know, when you add in, you know, solos and assists. That's another factor as well. All the turnover on special teams. Allen's gone. Snell appears to be gone. Derek Watts gone. Millette's now gone. That's a lot of like core special team snaps that you're losing and replacing with, you know, you bring back Boykin, which was, you know, good to see. And Tanner Muse is going to be a core guy. And some of these rookies are going to catch on. Herbig, I think, will be a core guy out of the gate. So, but it's just another area of turnover that's going to be an adjustment for this team. I would think uh, Millette just off of uh, special teams tape alone last season will land somewhere, maybe maybe for a tad bit more than a minimum. Yeah, I, I think he'll be on a 53 somewhere come week one. Uh, he'll definitely be in a camp and, and you take it from there. Right. All right, Dave, I think we should get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let's do it here. Let's first, we talked about this during the uh, round table here. This was from Pastor Joe Green. He says, I think in year two, Nick Herbig becomes a Kyle Van Noy kind of player, a spot starter that gets snaps at both outside linebacker and inside linebacker. He says, look at the measurables. Van Noy is my comp for Herbig. However, I agree he may end up with more snaps inside in the long run uh, there. Uh, all right, Pastor Joe. We, I mean, we 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 ad- we address that during the roundtable there, and 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 once again, if Nick Herbig can become uh, the new Kyle Van Noy in the NFL and play play ten seasons on top of it, and and register the amount of sacks and and do all the things Van Noy has done, sign us sign us all up for that. Where whether it's outside, inside, or whatever. You know, but uh, uh, the measurables, I guess, are are close there. So if you want to uh, put a player in, well, in what would we call that kind of the variance cat, you know, uh, the outlier category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's fair to put Van Noy. You know, Van Noy has always kind of looked a little bit bigger, though, even coming out, if I remember. Yeah, it felt like he was bigger, but the heights and weights are pretty similar. And, you know, Andy Weidel said, as you referenced, that Herbig will hopefully add some weight, and he probably will. So I, I like that Van Noy comparison. And as Dave said, if he can become Van Noy, then I'll sign up for that. Sure. So uh, good observation on your point, Pastor Joe Green. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to C. Michael. I uh, really appreciate the insights and perspective. Uh, on, and he has on, uh, let's see, Benton question. Good point about his senior bowl. He says, you're my number one source for Steelers analysis and discussion. Really love the prospect breakdowns, blah, blah, blah. Today's question relates to whether our newfound big physical cornerbacks can be used to match up man versus man 
uh, versus above average pass catching tight ends. He says, we're all aware of how our linebackers have been exploited by these types. He says, to me, it makes all the sense in the world rather than allowing these mismatches, possibly using, he says, uh, Keanu, uh, Neil Moore at strong safety versus teams with dual use tight ends to help offset the loss of run D size. Uh, would say trice near the line of scrimmage question mark. What are your thoughts on possible ways the Steelers could utilize these new tools versus tight ends and the impact they could have? Yeah, it's a fair question. I think trice is more likely to do it than Joey Porter is going to do it. Um, given the Porter's going to have probably a more impactful role covering, you know, outside type receivers. And trice has that safety background that probably has him a bit more comfortable working interior middle of the field and taking on some of these tight ends. So yeah, I think Trice is a guy that could try to, you know, Pittsburgh's tried that in the past with some of these, you know, matchups against Gronk. I know Cortez Allen is one of those guys for better or for worse. So, yeah, short answer, I think Trice could could be that guy. But you get a, you get them in the camp. They got to make the team first. They got to do all the little things and stay healthy, stay available, and and you take it from there. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I do view Trice as a cornerback, but you take advantage of kind of the size that he has and how I think he could match up well against some of these, you know, big move flex type, uh, type of tight ends. Uh, let's see. David Ricards writes in, I feel like the fan base have good reason to be excited about the draft class, but maybe getting slightly ahead of ourselves. He says, particularly with Washington, he says, I love the Darnell Washington pick, but I find myself wondering what his snap count projects to be in year one, particularly early in the season. He says, I would expect it to be uh, higher than the tight end two snaps that Gentry saw last season. But is that a reasonable expectation? He says, is a, is tight end a position that tends to take some time uh, for the rookie to get worked into the scheme? He says, I try. I'm trying to remember uh, how they how the team handled uh, Pat Firemuth's reps as a rookie. Though the situation is obviously different this year. As always, thanks to the depot depot crew. He says the roundtables this year have been awesome. Thanks, David. Uh, look, uh, if you here, here's the way I view. Uh, Darnell Washington's early possible early inclusion into the season. Uh, you have him do all, all, uh, all of, if not the same things he was asked to do at Georgia uh, there, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, a uh, lot of end of the line uh, scrimmage type stuff, maybe put him in motion occasionally and, and, and uh, some misdirection kind of those, those tight end quick, you know, roll out screens to one side uh, off of play action. And then obviously you, you can use them in a run game as a blocker there. Uh, what is this? What would be an early this far out, assuming once again, everybody stays healthy. Uh, what would be a, an, an early snap projection for a season for, for, for Darnell Washington offensively 450 snaps. How many did Gentry play last year? Just to kind of give me a baseline answer let me look that up here at least based off of pfr they have him down for 577 okay and firemuth did miss some a little bit of time there right right with the concussions um but obviously he may miss this year too but i guess we'll we'll assume you know firemuth plays all 17 games is in great health in 2023 obviously things are a bit dependent on you know are you winning games are you losing games you know obviously if you're up late, you're running your four-minute offense, you're going to be putting out your big people to close out a game. If you're down, you've got 11 personnel, you're going pass mode, and so snap counts are going to go down. So there's a there's a game circumstance element to it. I think on paper, you would expect a guy like Washington to play more than what Gentry was playing last year, just because he's a better player and his team's real all-in philosophy on some of that bully ball action. 
Although to go the other way, this team will probably have a more competent slot receiver and third receiver this year in Allen Robinson, as opposed to the mess there was last year, especially post Claypool trade. So, you know, you're going to vary up your personnel some. So short answer, I'll say about the same number of snaps as Gentry last year. I'll call it between 500 to 600. All right, but if you're if 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 everybody if everybody stays healthy here, and you come out with the intention of running more uh, twelve personnel out of the shoot. You damn sure better have Washington on the field, is my 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 view. Oh yeah, and I think that he will be. And, and to answer the other question of the the transition for rookie tight ends, typically I think it's a pretty steep learning curve. I think it's one of the steeper learning curves for for rookies to have, probably right behind quarterback. But for Washington being so comfortable working in line three point stance as a right. run blocker, because that's typically where the transition comes from. Cause you got these big flex tight ends and never put their hand on the, in the ground, never have to block a guy in college that that's the learning curve. It's not going to be an issue for Washington. So I think his learning curve will be, you know, playing in a pro style offense, much less severe than a typical rookie tight end. I agree. And like I said, you, 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 you focus on the things that he's already good at and did quite a bit at Georgia and then build off of that, you know, elements of the passing game and, 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 and things of that nature there. But I think un- undoubtedly you can get this guy on the field early, especially if your intentions is to run, you know, and look, I mean, it gives you the ability to uh, what I've said several times over the years on, on this podcast, you put that, you put a 12 personnel grouping out there that includes Washington and, and Firemood. You can look across, that line of scrimmage and see are you going up against a heavy defense or are you going up against a light defense and you know uh you you can you can split firemouth out yeah to quote michael scott poorly but i'll try to quote him here my oh my how the the, the turns my, my, the my, how the turn <laughs> tables right it's because it used to be that pittsburgh would get, would get killed on that stuff right. cleveland did it all the time against them. You know, they would go heavy. Pittsburgh would stay in base because they had to stay in base. Then you go empty out of your heavy personnel and you just pick Pittsburgh apart. Maybe Pittsburgh can put that shoe on the other foot this year. I would love to see that. And look, if this guy ends up being as good as a uh, inline uh, number two tight end, uh, as as we all think and hope he will be, and, and just, you know, uh, anything that you're able to build off of that with him in the passing game is just gravy. And as, as I showed in my contextualization of him recently of his targets, uh, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, it's not like he caught a lot of three yard passes down the field there. You know, he, he was able to catch the football down the field and, 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 you know, more than anything, the red zone uh, ability there, you could do a lot of tricky things with him, uh, in some 12 personnel groupings along with Firemuth, uh, you know, based on what you see across from you and, 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 and all like that down in the red zone. And he is a, even though he didn't have the, uh, you know, a lot of touchdown production in college inside the red zone. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to, you, you just throw a, you could just lob that thing up over the line of scrimmage up high, uh, and let him go get it, you know? Yeah. And it was tough for him to be an ultra productive guy when you, you know, you're playing in a pro style system, runs the ball a lot. And of course, Brock Bowers is, can be the tight end and best tight end, a tight end of the class next year. So it's hard to get that production consistently. So you bet on traits, you bet on tools and, and Washington has both of those things. Right. And I guess a short answer to his question would be, you know, uh, I don't think the transition for how I think they might want to use him out of this, out of the shoot would be tough on a player like Washington. 
What's your projected snap count? I was in that 500, 600 range. Are you probably uh, about the same? Yeah, you know, 450 was the first number that came up in my head. But I mean, it could it could easily be 650, you know? Mm-hmm. I got you. Uh, also, uh, just seeing this uh, Arthur Millette Instagram post, and these are always hard to suss out, but I'll just read what he posted here just a short time ago. It says, quote, I'm very thankful for everything, but I won't sell my soul to change what I believe in. They're going to paint the picture like I'm tripping. And so that is from an Instagram story of Arthur Millette from just a couple minutes ago. Obviously not specifying what that means, but sounds like he was dissatisfied uh, with something happening in Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm not sure what to, what to read into that, but that's quite interesting. Yeah, always. And, um, Brooke Pryor's reporting that Millette did ask for his release. So okay. just to, to confirm that. All right. All right. Anything else from the email machine, Dave? No, I think, uh, I think we've got everything when it comes to that. And we will be back to add it on Friday after the schedule release, right? Yay, the schedule release, yep, and then Friday will be day one of Rookie Minicamp, and so it's going to be a busy weekend with a lot of interviews, hearing from the rookie class. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to get some news out here. <laughs> yeah, quick. it's a busy time here. Uh, real quick here. All right, uh, so until Friday, you can follow me on Twitter, at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter, at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show, at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button, upright navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad-free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad-free button, upright navigational bar, and follow the directions that way. Uh, great uh, roundtable today. Shout out to all, all the guys for joining us. We hope to have another one here probably within the next calendar week. Good job by you, uh, Alex, as well, too. So until Friday, as always, thanks for listening to The Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Are you tired of hiding your smile? Maybe it's time to get some help from G4 by Goldpaw. Their talented technicians specialize in creating brand new permanent teeth in just 24 hours with as few as four titanium implants. You can enjoy a fully customized bridge for your upper and or lower set of teeth. You can have peace of mind knowing that the G4's experienced lab technicians have designed more than 15,000 new smiles. You can have a new smile that looks, feels, and functions just like natural teeth. Patients from all over the world travel to G4 to get their permanent smiles in just 24 hours and change their lives forever. Booking an appointment has never been easier. Simply visit yourteeth.com today and schedule your appointment with G4 by Golpa. Mention this podcast when you book to save $1,000. So what are you waiting for? Get ready to show off your new confident smile with G4 by Golpa. Visit yourteeth.com today and start your journey to a new permanent smile in just 24 hours. G4 by Golpa, powered by technology, inspired by patience.